You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host Keaton Tucker and let's go ahead and dive on in, shall we? This was a pretty busy week. Um, We just had, which I'm going to be covering a little bit of this later on in the show, we just had the the Mueller testimony. So Robert Mueller was uh, brought up to Congress to testify over the uh, Mueller report. And, um, yeah, that was just about what I expected it would be, which was absolutely nothing. Uh, a whole nothing burger came out of that. And actually, actually the, it was about the only thing that could build up Trump's case even more. The case against this whole Russia collusion, obstruction of justice, th- this whole movement to get Trump impeached. The only thing that could even bolster that movement even stronger would it would be to have Robert Mueller come in and testify at Congress, and that's exactly what happened. But, but before we get into that, let's start out with one of the juiciest stories we've had in a long time on this show. And I'm talking, you know how you just have like one of those things that just kind of, you know, you're you're going about your day and just something wonderful happens and it just like it it was nothing that you did it was nothing that anyone else um came up and kind of gave to you it just out of the blue something really good just happens it just kind of falls in your lap it's just wonderful well there is a story that came out this week about bernie sanders and his campaign turns out you know how Bernie Sanders was championing this um, $15 an hour minimum wage? And we just talked about in our last episode, the House passed this um, $15 an hour minimum wage bill. Well, let's, let's, let's go back. Let's take, a, let's take a trip back memory lane here. This is just last week here. This is Bernie Sanders on a tweet saying there's nothing extreme about raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. What's extreme? I should say this in Bernie Sanders. What's extreme is paying workers starvation wages while the CEO pay and corporate profits skyrocket. Plus, starvation wages? What is that? So who in America is starving? Almost nobody. They see this is the thing about like if you make under 15 an hour, those are starvation wages. Look at that. Starvation wages. And in fact, they the the those who are poor in this country they have a they have a, a, a obesity problem. They don't have a shortage of starvation wages. They have a, a diabetes problem just because they have like access to they have access to too much food. Granted, they should probably have access to healthier foods, but there's no shortage of food starvation wages. Come on, dude. This is just last week, but l- let's take a look. I mean, let's go back even further. 2016. All right, let's listen to Bernie Sanders kind of champion this this minimum wage hike. This is the he is the only reason the Democratic Party has this on their platform. Every presidential candidate that got up there supports this. They're pushing for it. They just got a bill passed in the House because of this guy. He started it. Listen to him. 2016, Bernie Sanders. My radical idea is that in America, if somebody works 40 hours a week, that person should not live in poverty. All right, that's the radical idea. I believe we should raise the minimum wage to a living wage, and that is 15 bucks an hour over the next several years. And I am am proud to tell you I have been on picket lines with fast food workers in Washington, D.C., and elsewhere. And these people deserve an enormous amount of credit for their courage, and we are making real progress. Hey, you. So they're making real progress. 
He's out there picketing with them. He's fighting for that $15 an hour minimum wage. He's getting there. They got to get out of these starvation wages, right? People are suffering because they're not making $15 an hour. And what happens when the Trump campaign, or excuse me, the Trump campaign, the Bernie Sanders campaign gets in the news? What's the news story that drops? Bernie Sanders hit uh, with federal labor complaints. Bernie Sanders, turns out, was not paying his own campaign staff $15 an hour. (laughs) You could not, you could not, this is, this might be the implosion, the presidential race implosion of the year. For sure. I, I thought at first it might be uh, Joe Biden just employ. You know, he's kind of started out on the top and I have a feeling he's just going to nosedive. If this is this might be the start of just a giant implosion of Bernie Sanders. This is a huge hit. This is the guy who's been championing this idea the whole time and he's not even paying his own staff $15 an hour minimum wage. He'll pass a federal law, a blanket law across the entire country telling every single small business and every single company what the what to pay for uh for wages. But this guy's not even going to put his money where his mouth is in his own campaign staff. <laughs> Is Bernie Sanders figuring out what happens economically when this happens? No, wait a, wait a minute. I have to pay fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage. That's gonna that's gonna cut back on my look. I've got I, I've got a lot of money. I need to I need to put into. I'm running for president, right? Bernie Sanders is running for president. I got I got a lot of uh, I've got a advertising budget. I've got a um a, a TV budget. I've got all kinds of marketing campaigns. I need travel. I got to buy plane tickets to go to these cities so I can get votes and become president. I got to use that money to pay my staff more to make them happy. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I can tell everyone else what to do, but but I don't have to do that, right? Boy, you could not have a bigger black eye on the Sanders campaign than this story that came out here. Yikes. On Thursday evening, the Washington Post reported that some members of Sanders campaign have been lobbying to raise their wages. Field organizers say they make a salary of $36,000 annually, but work 60 hours per week, which is an average of $13 an hour. Unionized workers plan to send a letter to campaign manager Fariz Shakir, which would read that Many field staffers are barely managing to survive financially, which is severely impacting our team's productivity and morale. Some employees said that they have even left the campaign as a result of low pay. In a statement provided to Newsweek, Shakir and said that the campaign has been in discussions about pay structure changes with the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 400, the union representing the organizers. We look forward to continuing those discussions and obviously are disappointed that some individuals decided to damage the integrity of these efforts before they were concluded. They're attacking the people who can't, he broke this story. And this is another thing. Look right here. Bernie Sanders has actually come out and complained that some of his staff has taken this to the news. Dude, this is on you. You've been championing this whole thing. This, this was your idea. This was your big push, and you're not even doing it. You're getting into negotiations and labor disputes with unionized workers. What are you doing, man? How do you expect for anyone to take you seriously? Moving, I never took you seriously, but especially now people who are just thinking about like, well, you know, I kind of like what maybe Bernie Sanders is saying. Maybe I should take him seriously for president. Look at this. How is anyone going to take you seriously when you're, you're coming out with these, all these big ideas, right? These big ideas. Oh, let's, let's just give health care to everybody, 
right? Let's 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 take all the money from the top and distribute it down to the bottom, right? Nobody has to have um, starvation wages. Nobody has to be starving in the streets at thirteen dollars an hour. But you're not even doing it in your own campaign. See, this is the this is the thing here. Bernie Sanders has only had one job in his entire life. One job, and this is it. Politics. This guy has done nothing. This guy was Bernie Sanders was kicked out of a a hippie commune because he was too lazy. The the people said it came out in a book. The lady who ran the commune said look, Bernie Sanders wouldn't even work in the commune. He would just sit around talking about politics all day. Bernie's had one job his entire life, but he's going to tell other companies and other businesses what they should do and how to run their company and how their wages should be paid. Not on supply and demand like every other thing. Not on supply and demand and contractual agreements between the employer and employee. But by federal law, we're going to mandate this across the country, no matter where you live. If you live in California, if you live in Florida, if you live in Nebraska, if you live in Maine, you're all going to be subject to the same law across the board. Doesn't matter what the the cost of living is for where you are. This is what we're going to do. Meanwhile, in my own campaign, as I'm running for these ideas, I'm not even going to practice what I preach. What a piece of crap. So Bernie Sanders is pissed off at his people that they went to the uh, went to the press. He said, quote, it does bother me that people are going outside of the process and going to the media. That that is really not acceptable. It is really not what labor negotiations are about, and it's improper. What a story, man. What a freaking story. Holy cow. So, if this doesn't show you everything you need to know about uh, Bernie Sanders, I don't know what will. Just simply because, uh, could you imagine a, a more hypocritical guy running for president? Honestly, look at this exchange here. This is back in uh, 2017. This was about Obamacare. And this was an exchange between a small, uh, this, this woman owns, uh, I think she owns a couple hair salons. She owns a few hair salons and the Obama mandate said that if she employed over 50 people, she has to provide health insurance for all of her employees. So she goes on and she asks Bernie in this kind of uh, town hall style debate. She asked Bernie, so I've got these five hair salons. I want to expand. I want to grow. I want to provide more jobs to more people, expand my own business. However, if I expand, I'm going to have to provide health care for everybody, right? And then that's just going to shred my margins, right? I'm not going to be making much money at all at that point. So I'm just kind of stagnant, right? My business is kind of stuck. Okay, I'm stuck in, in this weird spot. I can't, I can't do this. So what, what are you going to do for me? How, how should I move forward with this? Watch this exchange. He just belittles her and, and, um, and totally shoves her off to the side and is like, no, nah, you still need to, you still need to do this, even though it's going to shred your, probably shred your margins and, and have you shrink your business, not grow. Without either raising the prices to my customers or lowering wages to my employees. Rhonda? LaRonda. LaRonda. Okay. Oh, you own five uh, salons. That's correct. And you employ close to 50 people. Just under. And what kind of health insurance do you provide to them? I don't, I, none. You provide no health insurance to them? Correct. Uh, let me be, let me give you an answer you will not be happy with. 
Uh, and that is, I think, uh, that for businesses that employ 50 people or more, given the nature of our dysfunctional health care system right now, where most people do get their health insurance through the places that they work, I'm sorry, I think that in America today, everybody should have health care. And if you have more than 50 people, you know what? I think I'm afraid to tell you, but I think you will have to provide health care. So my question is, how do I do that without raising my prices to my customers or lowering wages well, to my employees? You see, the difficulty is also is, and I'm not much of an expert on hair dressing in general. <laughs> no, you're not much of an expert in anything in general because you've had one job your entire life and it's just to pander these uh, these political players and these political ideas. That's all you do. You just talk, 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 talk. You've never had to own a business. You're not friends with business owners. You grew up as a hippie. You got kicked out of a hippie commune because you were too lazy. You just want the world, but you don't want to do any work for it. So this lady is like, well, how do I grow my business if, if I'm subject to these kinds of laws? And he's like, well, tough luck. Tough luck. By the way, I don't think people should be tied to their job to get health insurance either. That is subject to government regulation as well. That was provided because after World War II, they started getting in with these companies and, and companies... Um, the, the government made a, uh, oh, I'm going to screw this up. Essentially, what happened was after World War II, the, the government wanted to provide, uh, wanted an easy way to provide health care for all the people coming back from the war, right? So they started to incentivize companies to include health care plans as benefits included in, in their jobs, Right. So instead of just paying a salary and having health care as a separate entity that individuals would have to go directly to the health care company to get. The businesses would interact with the health care company and then the individuals would get it with their jobs. So then, hey, it's all it's an all in one package. Well, what happens when you leave your job? Well, you lose your health insurance. You got to go find another. You got to either go get an individual plan, which is more expensive because the prices have been hiked up by government and uh, and businesses getting into this insurance game. Or. You go and you find another job and try and get uh, health insurance. So this whole thing has been screwed up by government alone. I don't know that, that that video. I thought this video right here, I thought showed a perfect example of who Bernie Sanders is. You don't like it. Well, tough luck. You're trying to build a small business. Well, tough luck. Tough luck. You need to follow. You need to follow my rules or hit the highway. Except for me. I don't have to follow my rules. I don't have to in, employ um, employees. I don't have to employ people at $15 an hour. That's for everybody else. Yeah, God. Can't believe that guy. What an unbelievable hypocrite. <clears throat> All right, let's jump into Mueller, shall we? Um, so Robert Mueller was brought to Congress to testify about his report as if we needed to hear anything more about this. You know, we didn't get enough information from the 450 plus page document that he released his two individual press. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's done well, one or two um, press conferences that he outlines um, his, his findings in the report. He even released a letter to general Barr. Uh, about his summary saying some of the things that he may have gotten wrong, uh, which turns out it wasn't anything actually, you know, his summarization bar summary was pretty spot on. It turns out. So as if we don't have enough information about this and this, uh, this whole thing is, is totally a fabricated Essentially, it's a fabricated hit job on the president. It was a coup. It was an attempted coup is what it is. Attempted coup by the Democrats in the deep state with the FBI. Nobody's talking about the fact that 
the FISA court issued a warrant to President Obama to spy on two U.S. citizens ahead of the election. So Mueller gets to Mueller gets to Congress. I watched some of this today. Uh, I wasn't able to watch most of it. I, I probably caught about an hour of it. Um, but I was able to find some of the highlights that I did see, and then I was able to catch a couple of different highlights um, later on in the day from Twitter. Um, so let's let's go through it. But first, I want to outline. Let, let let's just um, let me just explain what Robert Mueller was like during this. Um, or the, the, the ideas that the Democrats had that this was going to be. So the Democrats were kind of laying this out as being like, oh man, we got Robert Mueller, right? This is the nail in the coffin for Trump. He's finally going to come on and say, I guess, I guess he was going to say something different that he didn't say in a 460 page freaking document. Is he going to say something new? That's what they thought. They thought they were going to get new information, the nail in the coffin for Trump. This was going to be the spearhead for impeachment against Trump. Meanwhile, in reality, Robert Mueller, you could not have asked for a worst, weaker looking guy to come up there and to testify in Congress. He, he looked old. He sounded old. He was slow. When they were referencing the document, he had a hard time following and keeping up. He couldn't keep his his sentences straight. He could barely, you know, kind of follow up their questions with cohesive answers. And the whole time he's, he would he would just get asked a question. He'd be like, refer to the report. I refer to the report on this one. This is what I put in the report. You should refer to the report on this. The whole time he's just referencing the report. Why is he there? Well, this actually worked in favor of the Republicans, actually, not the Democrats. So let's take a look at some of the highlighted exchanges that happened. Um, this one, this is Representative um, Matt Gates of Florida questioning Robert Mueller here. Can you state with confidence that the Steele dossier was not part of Russia's disinformation campaign? No, as I said in the, uh, my opening statement, I, the, uh, that uh, part of the uh, building of the case was predated me. That the, the whole time, uh, 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 the whole hearing. I mean, I watched only an hour of it, but that's what I heard the whole time. And by at least 10 months. Yeah, I mean, Paul Manafort's alleged uh, crimes regarding tax evasion predated you. You had no problem charging them. And matter of fact, this Steele dossier predated the attorney general, and he didn't have any problem answering the question. When Senator Cornyn asked the attorney general the exact question I asked you, director, the attorney general said, and I'm quoting, no, I can't state that with confidence. And that's one of the areas I'm reviewing. I'm concerned about it, and I don't think it's entirely speculative. Now, if something is not entirely speculative, then it must have some factual basis. But you identify no factual basis regarding the dossier or the possibility that it was part of the Russia disinformation campaign. Now, Christopher Steele's reporting is referenced in your report. Steele reported to the FBI that senior Russian foreign ministry figures, among with other, along with other Russians, told him that there was, and I'm quoting from the Steele dossier, extensive evidence of conspiracy between the Trump campaign team and the Kremlin. So here's my question. Did Russians really tell that to Christopher Steele, or did he just make it all up and was he lying to the FBI? Uh, let me back up a second if I could and say, as I uh, said earlier, uh, with regard to the Steele, uh, that uh, that's beyond my purview. No, it is exactly your purview, Director Mueller, and here's why. Only one of two things is possible, right? Either Steele made this whole thing up and there were never any rush. Look Only at, one of so look at Robert Mueller just kind of look down and be like, oh my God, I, I'm just getting ripped to shreds here. Like he says he and he's he has said this uh, across many different discussions and questions that he gets asked. He's like, that's beyond my purview. Uh, that that's, that was before I started the investigation, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, he, he arrested multiple people for things that happened before the investigation started. 
But look at him just kind of look down when he's like, no, that's exactly within your purview. Uh, with regard to the steel, uh, that, uh, that's beyond my purview. No, it is exactly your purview, Director Mueller, and here's why. Only one go, of two things Jesus. is possible, right? <laughs> Either Steele made this whole thing up and there were never any Russians telling him of this vast criminal conspiracy that you didn't find, or Russians lied to Steele. Now, if Russians were lying to Steele to undermine our confidence in our duly elected president, that would seem to be precisely your purview because you stated in your opening that the organizing principle was to fully and thoroughly investigate Russia's interference. But you weren't interested in whether or not Russia were interfering through Christopher Steele. And if Steele was lying, then you should have charged him with lying like you charged a variety of other people. But you say nothing about this in your report. Well, sir. Meanwhile. Boom. Oh, my God. That's Matt Gates there. Let's move on to another one. Oh, here's an exchange right here. So, I, yeah, Donald Trump tweeted out this video, of course. Uh, Trump has been busy tweeting. <laughs> about all of this. Um, but this is a, an exchange here about um, Fusion GPS. Um, so if you're not familiar, uh, go back and listen to some of our previous episodes where we've talked about this, uh, the Mueller report and everything. Essentially, the firm that was used to create the Steele dossier, the report that was, the Steele dossier is the report uh, that was used to get the FISA warrant to spy on Trump and to start this whole investigation. Okay. Fusion GPS is the firm that curated this steel dossier. All right. So this is like the, like, if you want to get to the beginning of how this thing started, you got to look at the steel dossier, which is the report and the firm that created it. Fusion GPS, which is tied to the Clintons. Okay, so if you don't understand those two things, you don't understand any of this. All right. Listen to how much Robert Mueller says he knows about Fusion GPS. Name of that firm was Fusion GPS. Is that correct? And you're on page 103? 103. That's correct. Volume two. When you talk about the, the firm that produced the steel reporting... Uh, the name of the firm that produced that was Fusion GPS. Is that correct? Well, I, I'm not familiar uh, uh, with uh, with that. I, well, uh, let, me, you, let me just help you. Uh, it, it was. It's not. It's not a trick question. Enough. It was Fusion GPS. Now he says it's not a trick question. It is Fusion GPS. What do you mean you're not familiar with Fusion GPS? See, this is this is falling right in line with what some Republicans have been saying is. Is Robert Mueller even the one that has been spearheading this this uh, Mueller report or this investigation? Or is he just a figurehead that's been stamped there by the Democrats, a former Republican intelligence officer, as a figurehead for this for this false investigation of a crime that which was not committed as essentially a deep state coup to try and get Donald Trump out of office? The whole time he's referencing that he's reference he's all he's like looking back in the Mueller report like it's the first time he's ever seen the report. Where is this? Where is this quote at? What page are you on? They tell him the page. He's like looking through it. Where where are they talking about? And in this case, they talk about fusion GPS. This is stepping block number one into this whole thing. Stepping block number one. And you're going to say you're not familiar with Fusion GPS? Dude. What? Here's another one. Oh my God, Jim Jordan. Representative Jim Jordan laid into Robert Mueller. He started questioning Mueller on why um, he did not uh, charge Joseph Mifsud. Um, which he'll kind of explain who that is uh, with lying to the FBI. Robert Mueller went after multiple people for lying to the FBI. See, this is the thing about the Justice Department, which is so aggravating. And I don't need to get aggravated to it because I know it's such a BS system and I know it's corrupt and I know that there's no such thing as like true justice in this whole thing. But Mueller went after multiple people for, I'm talking like uh, Matt Flynn, 
Flynn, right? Uh, I think it was Matt Flynn. Whatever. He got a date wrong. He remembered a date wrong that was months previous while before they were asking, uh, while they were interrogating him and questioning him. Flynn got a single date wrong and they threw that guy in jail. They charged him for getting a remembering a date wrong. Meanwhile, this Joseph Mifsud lied to the FBI. They know he lied multiple times about this whole fake Russia scandal and they never charged him. Listen to Jim Jordan just rip in. This is a little bit of a longer video, but man, you got to listen to this exchange. The gentleman from Ohio. Director, the FBI interviewed Joseph Mifsud on February 10th, 2017. In that interview, Mr. Mifsud lied. You point this out on page 193, volume one, Mifsud denied. Mifsud also falsely stated. In addition, Mifsud omitted. Three times he lied to the FBI, yet you didn't charge him with the crime. Excuse me, did you say one, I'm sorry, did you say 193? Volume one, 193. He lied three times, you pointed out in the report. Why didn't you charge him with the crime? I can't get into uh, internal deliberations with regard to who would can't or would answer not that be, question. Uh, charge a lot of other people for making false statements. Let's remember this. Let's remember this. In 2016, the FBI did something they probably haven't done before. They spied on two American citizens associated with a presidential campaign, George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. With Carter Page, they went to the FISA court. They used the now famous dossier as part of the reason they were able to get the warrant and spy on Carter Page for a better part of a year. With Mr. Papadopoulos, they didn't go to the court. They used human sources. All kinds of, from about the moment Papadopoulos joins the Trump campaign, you got all these people all around the world starting to swirl around him. Names like Halp, Downer, Mifsud, Thompson, meeting in Rome, London, all kinds of places. The FBI even sent even sent a lady posing as somebody else, went by the name Azra Turk, even dispatched her to London to spy on Mr. Papadopoulos. In one of these meetings, Mr. Papadopoulos is talking to a foreign diplomat, and he tells the diplomat, Russians have dirt on Clinton. That diplomat then contacts the FBI, and the FBI opens an investigation based on that fact. You point this out on page one of the report, July 31st, 2016, they open the investigation based on that piece of information. Diplomat tells Papadopoulos, Russians have dirt, excuse me, Papadopoulos tells the diplomat, Russians have dirt on Clinton. Diplomat tells the FBI, what I'm wondering is, who told Papadopoulos? How'd he find out? I can't get into the evidentiary file. Yes, you can, can't answer you wrote it. about it. You gave us the answer. Page 192 of the report, you tell us who told him. <laughs> Joseph Mifsud. Joseph Mifsud's a guy who told Papadopoulos, the mysterious professor who lives in Rome and London, works at teach in two different universities. This is the guy who told Papadopoulos. He's the guy who starts it all. And when the FBI interviews him, he lies three times. And yet you don't charge him with a crime. You charge Rick Gates for false statements. You charge Paul Manafort for false statements. You charge Michael Cohen with false statements. You charge Michael Flynn, a three-star general with false statements. But the guy who puts the country through this whole saga starts it all for three years. We've lived this now. He lies and you guys don't charge him. And I'm curious as to why. Well, I we can't get into it. And uh, <laughs> and it's obvious, I think, that we can't get into charging decisions. When the FBI interviewed him in February, FBI interviews him in February. When the special counsel's office interviewed Mifsud, did he lie to you guys? Can't get into that. Did you interview Mifsud? Can't get into that. Is Mifsud Western intelligence or Russian intelligence? Can't get into that. A lot of things you can't get into. What's interesting, you can charge 13 Russians. No one's ever heard of. No one's ever seen. No one's ever going to hear of them. No one's ever going to see them. You can charge them. You can charge all kinds of people who are around the president with false statements. But the guy who launches every, the guy who puts this whole story in motion, you can't charge him. I think that's amazing. I'm not certain I I, I agree with your characterizations. Well, I'm reading from your report. Mifsud told Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos tells the diplomat. The diplomat tells the FBI. The FBI opens the investigation July 31st, 2016. And here we are three years later, July of 2019. The country's been put through this. And the central figure who launches it all 
lies to us and you guys don't hunt him down and interview him again and you don't charge him with a crime. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The president was falsely accused of conspiracy. The FBI does a 10-month investigation, and James Comey, when we deposed him a year ago, told us at that point they had nothing. You do a 22-month investigation. At the end of that 22 months, you find no conspiracy. And what's the Democrats want to do? They want to keep investigating. They want to keep going. Maybe a better course of action, maybe a better course of action is to figure out how the false accusation started. Maybe it's to go back and actually figure out why Joseph Nipson mm -hmm. was lying to the FBI. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. That's exactly what Bill Barr's doing. And thank goodness for that. That's exactly what the Attorney General and John Durham are doing. They're going to find out why we went through this three-year three saga and get to the bottom of it. Man, this is, he's right. He's absolutely right, man. This whole thing, three years later now, Nothing. No conspiracy. There's been no no charge of conspiracy against Donald Trump. There was no Russian collusion. Now, the argument is against this obstruction of justice, obstruction of justice, obstruction of an investigation of a crime which did not happen. And even that's falling apart. God, I'm so sick of seeing this crap. People are hilarious. These these Democrats are grasping at straws, holding on. This is their last. This was their last ditch effort. Please, Robert Mueller. Take us to the promised land, Robert Mueller. Please take Trump out of office. Give us the nail in the coffin we need. This was not what they needed. Now, Democrats thought they got the nail in the coffin <clears throat> because Robert Mueller misspoke. And let me show you what this smoking gun, quote unquote, was during this questioning. This is uh, w this happened during uh, Representative Ted Lieu's questioning from uh, California. President. I believe a reasonable person looking at these facts uh, could conclude that all three elements of the crime of obstruction of justice have been met. And I'd like to ask you, the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, that is correct. The fact that... Whoa. So right there, that's when the Democrats thought... They got the nail in the coffin there. So, he, again, Ted Lieu asks, so the reason why you did not indict Trump was not that you didn't find a crime that he committed. It was that the OLC opinion that you cannot indict a sitting president is why you didn't indict him, correct? Correct. So that means Robert Mueller did find a did have crimes of which Trump did uh uh which Trump did commit that means Robert Mueller actually has evidence and he says that he could indict Trump with crimes but he's a sitting president and since the OLC's opinion on that you can't indict a sitting president that's why I didn't indict Trump holy cow that would have been that right there is totally opposite of what this dude has said since the beginning. Even in his report, he didn't say this, but he says this during the questioning. And even I was watching live at this and I was like, that's that's totally completely opposite of what he said before. This is the first time he's ever said this. The report doesn't even outline. He doesn't even tie crimes to Trump. He ties possible Possible situations of obstruction. Possible. But he never he never charged Trump with any crime and then say, well, I can't. These are the crimes that he committed, but I can't charge him with these crimes because he's a sitting president. Meanwhile, he says this during the questioning. However, that was short lived because after the break during this questioning, Robert Mueller had to clarify. Let's take a listen. 
It's going to play the question first, and then he's going to clarify. The reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, that is correct. I want to add one correction to my testimony this morning. I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu, who said, and I quote, you didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report, and as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. So there you go. And and that's the that's the thing that a prosecutor is supposed to do. They're supposed to figure out if a crime has been committed, right? Which they did not. They didn't find anything. <clears throat> All right, let's see where I'm at on time for you guys. Oh, I'm actually doing okay. All right. Let's hit one last thing on Mueller. And of course, I had to do something like this. we got to break this down, right? This is from ABC News. So you know it's going to be good, guys. ABC News. <clears throat> Five key takeaways from Robert Mueller's testimony before Congress. So let's see what ABC News has as their five key takeaways. Takeaway number one, the Mueller report did not totally exonerate the president. (laughs) Says, even before Mueller's redacted report was made publicly available in April, President Donald Trump was touting that the investigation's conclusion had exonerated him. Quote, it was a complete and total exoneration, Trump said in March, shortly after Attorney General William Barr released a letter which he had summarized Mueller's chief findings. But the Mueller, but Mueller's report released a month later challenged Trump's claim. In the report, Mueller wrote that he did not find evidence to suggest that members of the Trump campaign or anyone associated with it conspired or coordinated with the Russians. But his team declined to make a traditional pr- uh, prosecutor- prosecutorial decision. <laughs> Sorry, I messed up that word uh, on obstruction of justice matters. Quote, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him, Mueller wrote in the report. Well, no, it, the like I said before, the job of a prosecutor is not to declare someone innocent. It's to find them guilty. That's why they they don't find you in a court of law. They don't find you innocent. They they declare you not guilty, guilty or not guilty, not innocent. Okay. That's how the justice system works. Moving on. (laughs) Takeaway number two, the investigation is not a witch hunt. (laughs) Yes, it is, but they're going to take this literally. Watch this. Throughout his nearly two-year investigation, Mueller remained tight-lipped as the president lambasted his investigation. Trump at various times has accused the special counsel's office of harboring political bias against him. The president president also took regular swings at Mueller's team, calling the group of prosecutors the, quote, 13 angry Democrats, because most of them were Democrats. But perhaps Trump's most frequently used dismissal of the probe was his accusation that the special counsel's investigation was a, quote, witch hunt. During Mueller's testimony, he, for the first time since his appointment, refuted the president's efforts to dismiss his investigation as a witch hunt. Quote, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? asked House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. It is not a witch hunt, Mueller reported. (laughs) No, it's not a witch hunt. It's just an investigation based off of false evidence and lies for a crime which was not committed, but that we're still using to lambast the credibility of Donald Trump have his name tied to this forever. Such BS, man. Uh, Takeaway number three, Donald Trump Jr.'s interaction with WikiLeaks. Boy, we're still talking about WikiLeaks, huh? Um, Donald Trump Jr.'s interaction with WikiLeaks are, quote, disturbing and subject to investigation. 
Okay, let's see what they have to say about this. Mueller's report focused on members of the Trump campaign's interaction with WikiLeaks, the organization that disseminated stolen Democratic emails during the 2016 election. Yes, they published emails that were given to them. So what? His interest in WikiLeaks goes to the heart of the U.S. intelligence community's conclusion, released in a January 2017 report that the online organization weaponized and published damaging information provided to it by a hacker from the Russian government on the Democratic presidential on Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and her campaign. Boy, that's just too bad that those that those Russians, right? These these hackers, which is not been proven that these guys are Russian government officials and 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 WikiLeaks is not tied to the Russian government. There's no evidence to back that up. But boy, yeah, it's just it's it's such a uh, a dangerous thing for for that to be weaponized, for that to come out, right? What came out again? Oh, was it uh, was it the fact that Hillary Clinton was literally rigging the election against Bernie Sanders? She was in bed with the DNC. Bernie Sanders was never going to get the nomination. He was never going to get it. Hillary was always going to get it. So she's in bed with the DNC. She rigged the election. When you talk about influence in the election, uh, then she she got in bed with uh, MSNBC and CNN. CNN actually handed her debate questions that were asked in the debate. But we're talking about Russian interference. What did the Russians do? A hacker exposed the real collusion and uh, interference in our election? Yikes, dude. During the hearing on Wednesday, Representative Mike Quigley transcribed and posted on a projector screen praise offered by Trump during the campaign for WikiLeaks. Quigley asked Mueller how he would react to the comments, including Trump referring to WikiLeaks as, quote, a treasure trove and stating, quote, boy, I love reading those WikiLeaks. Mueller replied, well, Quote, it's problematic is an understatement in terms of what it displays in terms of giving some hope or some boost to what is and should be illegal activity. Quigley also asked Mueller about an episode detailed in his report, which depicts WikiLeaks corresponding with Donald Trump Jr. and asking for assistance, disseminating a link with incriminating information on Clinton. This behavior is at the very least disturbing, Quigley said to Mueller. Disturbing and also subject to investigation, Mueller said. Dude, you're the investigator. It's disturbing and subject to investigation. What have you been doing for three years, dude? What are you doing? You investigated. You didn't find anything. Ay ay ay. Mueller walks back a perceived bombshell. And that's what we just went over uh a few moments ago, him walking back his I don't know if he just simply misspoke or like he wasn't even This is the thing is like watching Robert Mueller answer these questions, it looks like he doesn't even know where he is. You're telling me that dude wrote a 406, a comprehensive 400 plus page document encapsulating the biggest investigation into a president in this country's history. And this dude can't even answer simple questions. He doesn't even look like he knows where he's there. That dude drafted up that document. Come on. Yeah, right. The last takeaway, Mueller sounds the alarm about future election meddling. Oh, here we go. Future election meddling. Because the U.S. does not meddle in elections. No, we don't we don't do the covert uh, election meddling. No, we'll just uh, we'll send troops to your country and destroy your country and install a uh, government that way. It's much easier that way. We have a big, big stick. We want to use that. 
several U.S. law enforcement and intelligence ent- entities have warned of efforts by Russia and the other foreign adversaries to un- unduly interfere. Oh my God, I can't read. Hold on. By Russia and other foreign adversaries to unduly influence future elections. But hearing Mueller's foreboding brought new life to the ongoing threat. It wasn't just a single attempt, Mueller told Representative Will Hurd, of Russian meddling in the United States political process. They're doing it as we sit here, and they expect to do it in the next campaign. The Mueller report laid out in painstaking detail about Russia's efforts to sow discord in the American electorate in several ways. Next time, Mueller said on Wednesday, it could be other foreign adversaries too. Quote, one of these other areas we have to look at, Mueller said. Many more countries are developing the capability to replicate what the Russians have done. What did they do? I'll tell you what they did. They went on Facebook. They purchased like 25K worth of memes. They created 11, 12K worth of Trump memes. And the other were Bernie memes. Yeah, they did Bernie too. They were just messing around with social media and Facebook memes. There is not a single, there's no evidence that a single vote was turned because of social media influence by Russian troll farms. God, they're blowing this up out of like ridiculous proportion. Like Russian is this Russia's this giant boogeyman that's controlling. That's got America on the puppet strings and Donald Trump's at the very top. And the and Putin is just controlling the whole political scene. Meanwhile, a whole the whole party, the Democratic Party, the DNC was in bed with a single candidate rigging the election, rigging the primary had the media in her back pocket. She she was with CNN, MSNBC, ABC. She handpicked candidate Trump. She said, I want to go against that guy. And guess what the media companies did? They started showing more clips of Donald Trump over Ted Cruz, over Marco Rubio, over Rand Paul, over Jeb Bush. They started featuring Trump on all of their channels to boost his name and boost his recognition up. Then she got her candidate. And so she rigged her primary. She got in. She was the Democratic uh, nominee. Trump won his. And then lo and behold, something happened that nobody expected. Nobody expected. Trump beat her. And that is the whole reason behind this whole stupid thing. That is the crux of it all. They cannot stand. They cannot believe that Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election. That's what all of this comes down to. They cannot believe they lost the election. And so what are they going to do? They're going to get this guy out by any means necessary, including a coup. God, man. Unbelievable. Well, sadly, I believe it, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, the last two talking points that I wanted to to go over here. <laughs> this one is um, actually pretty interesting since since uh, you know we've been talking about uh, Iran the last couple weeks, and tensions continue to rise with Iran. Um, this story came out on the Independent. Uh, about Donald Trump and uh, John Bolton's kind of relationship, their fiery relationship. Donald Trump has these instincts where he wants to get out of these wars, right? But for some godforsaken reason, he brought on John Bolton, the one of the curators of the Iraq war and one of the biggest war hawks in the country, and puts him on staff as national security advisor. So this story comes out about their relationship, and the <laughs> the headline is this. Let me guess, you want to nuke them all. Trump constantly baiting John Bolton in front of officials, report says. Let's, let's just read this a little bit. It says, uh, Donald Trump likes to goad his national security advisor, John Bolton, about his lust for military action, according to officials who have spoken about their relationship. 
As Iran claims to have captured spies working for the United States and accuses Mr. Bolton for trying to start a war, start, quote, the war of the century. New details have emerged of president's fondness for baiting his advisor in the company of top officials, including foreign dignitaries. Uh, During a White House Situation Room meeting last year, Trump reportedly said to his hawkish national security chief, Okay, John, let me guess. You want to nuke them all. According to the report by uh, the Axios website, Mr. Trump turned to Mr. Bolton in uh, in an Oval Office meeting with the Irish Prime Minister and said, John, is Ireland one of those countries you want to invade? Quoting unnamed senior uh, administration officials, the account claimed the president recently joked that, quote, John has never seen a war he doesn't like, repeating sentiments made in public. Quote, if it was up to him, he'd take the whole he'd take on the whole world at one time. OK. Yet the president is said to get quite touchy if critics of Mr. Bolton complain the <clears throat> complain about the national security advisor and how he could pull the U.S. into unnecessary conflict against Mr. Trump's will. He doesn't want anyone to believe he's anybody's pawn. Sources said Mr. Trump likes to keep Mr. Bolton on his team because he's, his aggressive reputation gives the president the opportunity to play good cop to his advisor's bad cop routine. Quote, he thinks Bolton, he thinks Bolton's velocity. Be- be- and eagerness to kill people is a bargaining chip when he's sitting down with foreign leaders, said one official. Bolton can be the bad cop and Trump can be the good cop. Trump believes this to his core. On Sunday, Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif tweeted about the White House hawk as Tehran's dispute with both the UK and US threatened to escalate over the seizure of a British oil tanker. He said, make no mistake, having failed to lure Donald Trump into a into a war of the century and fearing collapse of his B team, John Bolton is turning his venom against the UK in hopes of driving, dragging it into a quagmire. On Monday, Iran now announced it had arrested 17 people allegedly recruited by the CIA to spy in the country's nuclear and military sites. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. I mean, the good cop, bad cop thing sort of makes sense, I guess. But as a whole, I kind of doubt, I mean, I don't know why he keeps him on. I mean, I guess that makes sense of why he would keep him on, but Donald Trump's, he's got good instincts. He, in 2016, when he was running, he wants to get out of these wars, right? So it's very, very odd to me that he would bring on someone like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo, these guys that are completely the opposite of what he stood for. And then him kind of baiting and and kind of teasing. He knows exactly who John Bolton is. It's not like he's ignorant. He knows what John Bolton is and what he likes to do, and he's a war hawk. I got a solution for him. If he doesn't like him, just get him out, man. Make Rand Paul your national security advisor, which that leads us to our next story here. Politico, Rand Paul angles to become Trump's emissary to Iran. Man, I hope this happens because this can avoid a war right here. The senator pitched the idea during a recent round of golf with the president. Rand Paul asked President Donald Trump's blessing for a sensitive diplomatic mission. Paul proposed sitting down with Iranian Foreign Minister Javad, Javad Zarif and to extend a fresh olive branch on the president's behalf, according to four U.S. officials. The aim to reduce tensions between the two countries. And Trump signed off on the idea. Yes. And I've seen other articles on this that says this actually seems to be happening. So this is a very, 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 very good thing. This tensions the boiling point needs to be lowered here. All right, this this let's get it down to a simmer. Can we? Can we at least get it down to a simmer? Because the pot the pot's about to overflow. This 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 escalating conflict and escalating mess over there uh, has got to come down, or it's not going to end end well at all. So 
Rand Paul as an emissary to Iran. Hey, let's like I've said before, and I've said this to several people I know. I was like, man, I wish Trump would run with Rand Paul as his vice president rather than Pence. What does Pence do? Man, that dude is like, he's just in the background. He's just like kind of like the guy in like the background peeking around the corner and you never see. The guy uh, like really doesn't do anything. He makes a few speeches here and there, but that's it. Anyway, that is all that I have got for this episode. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening again. uh, I I really appreciate you guys uh, following us on Facebook, on social media. Uh, We're located on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. Oh, feel free to give us a, uh, a rating and a like on iTunes as well. Thanks guys. We'll see you on the next episode.